the Gospel reading today, our Lord tells us that we are to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We are to give to God what belongs to God. As we are now only a couple of weeks away from an election, we all have to look at that question. Because it's part of our duty, as we will hear in a couple of minutes, to vote. But we have to vote according to the way of God. That's something that is incumbent upon all of us. Now, having said that, I am not here to tell you who you have to vote for. I am here to lay out some principles for you. And I am here to present some truth that some people aren't going to like. Whenever I preach about things that people don't like, I get in trouble. So I actually have notes tonight so I can have it documented so that anybody who wants to say, show me your references, here they are. So we will go through this point by point by point. First of all, let me make clear that I am not affiliated with any party. My task is to look at the truth, who stands for what is right, and then vote for that person. There are nine people on the ballot in Minnesota who are running for president. So if you don't like either of the two major ones, you've got seven more that you can choose from. So nobody can even say it's the lesser of two evils, because even if that were the case, lesser of two evils means that you only have two options and you have to choose the lesser of those two. But in this case, you've got seven more, some which are also not acceptable. But nonetheless, we need to look it up. Some people think that it is not the church's place to have any say in politics and in the public square. So here's what the church says about that in paragraph 2246 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, it is part of the church's mission to pass moral judgment even in matters related to politics whenever fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires. So we have to speak the truth, even if it is opposition to politicians. The truth is the truth. It doesn't matter if it's here in the church, if it's down at the state capitol, or if it's any place else. The truth doesn't change just because we walked out the door. All of us are made for the truth, and so are the politicians. And so we have an obligation as the church to preach the truth. And preaching the truth to politicians has gotten lots of people in trouble. St. John the Baptist lost his head for doing it. Politicians weren't too amused with Jesus, as we hear today. Thought the Herodians, those people who are part of Herod's group, and Herod himself and Pilate at the end of Jesus' life. So there is a long history right from the very beginning of the church that we had to speak politicians, we had to speak the truth, even if it costs us dearly. Having said that, the church teaches that we have a moral obligation to vote. Paragraph 2240, the catechism says, submission to authority and co-responsibility for the common good make it morally obligatory to pay taxes, to exercise the right to vote, 
and to defend one's country. So this isn't an option that we have. This is something that we need to do. But we need to vote with our conscience. And then we need to vote with our intellect, not with our emotions. That's what a lot of people are falling into these days. It's all emotional. That's not what this is about. So regarding the obligations of politicians, the church says the following. Political authorities are obliged to respect the fundamental rights of the human person. Obliged. So if there is someone who is standing against the fundamental rights of human persons, we cannot vote for that person. The only way we can justify voting for such a person is if two of them, and we only have two choices in that case, but if these two choices that we have both are against the fundamental rights of the human person, then we have to look at it and say, okay, both of them are into something that's very bad, which one, however, is less bad. But we cannot, generally speaking, vote for someone who is in opposition to anything that is the fundamental right of a human person. And politics has its limitations. Our politicians don't seem to want that. We have a whole bunch of self-proclaimed little dictators running around these days that found that they have emergency powers. But nonetheless, the church says with regard to politicians and their limits, no one can command or establish what is contrary to the dignity of persons or the natural law. No one can command that. They are trying, and they have tried, and they have even made laws that are opposed to natural law. As we'll hear in a minute, we cannot follow those laws. Now with that as the background, we look and see what the church has taught us. And the church has weighed in on a number of things over the years. In fact, from the time of Pope Pius IX back in the 1840s, all the way up till today, every single pope, without exception, has condemned socialism. Pope Francis has not spoken on it as yet, so from Pius IX in the 1840s all the way through Benedict XVI. Here is what Pius XI said. And I say this because a lot of our young people have been taught in school, even places that call themselves Catholic, that socialism is the way to go. So here's what Pope Pius XI said in Quadragissimo Anno. No one can be at the same time a sincere Catholic and a true socialist. No one can at the same time be a sincere Catholic and a true socialist socialist. And then Pope John XXIII, now a saint, in his encyclical Mater et Magister, Mother and Teacher, looking back, talked about what was said. Furthermore, he said he emphasized that the views of communists, as they are called, and of Christians are radically opposed, nor may Catholics in any way give approbation to the teaching of socialists. 
That is the teaching of the Supreme Pontiff. Now, you may find it interesting that the Communist Party USA has not had a presidential candidate since 1984. Those of you who are old enough to remember, that last candidate was Gus Hall. You may remember his name. But they haven't had a party or a candidate since 1984. Instead, every single presidential election since 1984, the Communist Party USA has endorsed the Democrat candidate for president. That should speak volumes to anyone listening. Now, if we look a little bit further, the church tells us that if there is something that violates the law of God, we not only have a right to disobey that, we have an obligation to disobey. You can find that in Pope John Paul's Evangelium Vitae. This is from 2242 in the Catechism. The citizen is obliged in conscience not to follow the directives of civil authorities when they are contrary to the demands of the moral order, to the fundamental rights of persons, or the teachings of the gospel. Refusing obedience to civil authorities when their demands are contrary to those of an upright conscience finds justification in the distinction between serving God and serving the political community. Render, therefore, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So once again, the church is telling us the truth is God's because God is truth. You and I are made for the truth. We are to conform ourselves to the truth. And if somebody is saying and upholding something contrary to the truth, we have to reject it. And if they come up with an unjust law, we have an obligation to disobey it. And if that's the case with regard to laws that are made, isn't it the same or even stronger with regard to persons that we might vote for that are upholding things that are wrong? We have to disobey the law. We certainly, in conscience, cannot vote for somebody who is upholding something that is contrary to the truth. So, as a general principle for us to follow as we look forward to voting, we can say that no one can vote for anyone who upholds anything that is intrinsically evil. So let me repeat that. We cannot vote for anyone who upholds anything that is intrinsically evil. There are a number of intrinsic evils. Abortion, euthanasia, homosexual marriage, human trafficking, racism, human cloning, stem cell research, and the list can go on. If someone is upholding these things and pushing them, we cannot in good conscience, vote for that person. And indeed, it would constitute a serious sin. Now, all of these things are not equal, just as not all mortal sins are equal. If you look at the list of sins against the fifth commandment, you will find there that willful drunkenness is a mortal sin. 
And you will also find that murder is a mortal sin against the fifth commandment. Now, I don't think that any of us would try to suggest that because both of them are mortal sins that they are equal in weight. Obviously, murder is far worse. And so it is with regard to these issues that are in Samalum or intrinsically evil. Life issues clearly are most important, but again, they are not equal. There are some unfortunate souls in the church that have tried to make them equal and even talked about something that they called the seamless garment. Everything is equal, everything is the same. That was how they were trying to get around the basic fundamental issues that we cannot skirt around. In the introductory letter to the U.S. Bishop's document, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, we read the following. The threat of abortion remains our preeminent priority because it directly attacks life itself because it takes place in the sanctuary of the family and because of the number of lives destroyed. So here the U.S. bishops are saying that abortion is the preeminent issue. They're not all equal, in other words. In paragraph 2273 of the Catechism, It says, the inalienable right to life of every innocent human individual is a constitutive element of a civil society and its legislation. And, in case we're not clear yet, the church itself has made very clear that abortion is the preeminent issue because it has attached an excommunication to anyone who is formally involved in the successful procurement of a direct abortion. There is no excommunication for murder. There is no excommunication for euthanasia. They're both serious sins. They're both intrinsically evil. But there's no excommunication. There is with abortion. Here's what the Catechism says. Formal cooperation in abortion constitutes a grave offense. The Church attaches the canonical penalty of excommunication to this crime against human life. And quoting canon law, it says, A person who procures a completed abortion incurs excommunication latte sententiae, that is, by the very commission of the offense, subject to the conditions provided by canon law. So in other words, if somebody does not know that that's the penalty, they don't actually incur it. That doesn't make the offense any less. Now, we need also to be very clear here that voting for somebody who is in favor of abortion, while it is a serious matter, is not a matter of formal cooperation in their sin, and it is not an excommunication. However, it is material cooperation. And if we think even about the law, if somebody robs a bank, but somebody else is out in the car, or somebody just helped them to prepare to rob the bank, they can say you're an accomplice to the crime. If we're voting for somebody who says that abortion is okay, we're an accomplice to the crime. So it is material cooperation, but not formal. Now there are a couple of bishops who have been trying to play some interesting games here. 
one of the really bright spots among the bishops, said, climate change is greater than abortion. And he said the death toll from climate change is higher than the death toll from abortion. Climate change is not even a sin, let alone an intrinsic evil. And right now there are approximately one million babies every year in the United States being aborted and 40 million around the world. Climate change has a higher death toll than that? I don't think so, Your Excellency. But there is another very well-known bishop who again tried to do some juggling of things here and came out to say that you can actually vote for a pro-abortion candidate because his primary rival is in favor of the death penalty. So a million babies being born and a handful of people who might be put to death in the death penalty, but saying that somehow this is okay. Well, Your Excellency, the death penalty is not a sin. It may be that it's not necessary to use it in a place like America, but it has been upheld by the church from the very beginning. And it remains that way. It is Pope Francis's opinion that it should never be done, but it is his opinion. It is not the teaching of the church. And so for this bishop to come out and say that because someone upholds the death penalty, that therefore it's okay to vote for somebody who's in favor of abortion is not acceptable. Now, over the years, people have gone into this idea of saying, well, if, you, if abortion is your main thing, you're just a one-issue voter. Nonsense. But again, let's listen to what the bishops have to say in, in paragraph 49 of their Forming Consciences document. Every human being has the right to life, the fundamental right that makes all other rights possible. In other words, all of the other things we can say are totally invalid if you're not alive. We don't have to worry about euthanizing somebody if they're already dead. We don't have to worry about whether somebody is treating somebody in a way that violates their dignity if they're not even alive. You can't have any other rights if your life is taken away from you. So the right to life is first and foremost. And that's what we have to be looking at when we go to vote. Once again, the bishops in their introductory letter to this document said, for all Catholics, including those seeking public office, our participation in political parties or other groups to which we may belong should be influenced by our faith and not the other way around. We hear that. Should be influenced by our faith and not the other way around. Now that becomes very important because here is what the Pew Research Company had to say. This is their words, not mine. This is from a poll that they had back a year ago in August of 2019. And here's what they said. When it comes to specific policy issues, Catholics are often more aligned with their political party than the teaching of their church. On abortion, for example, 77% of Democratic and Democratic-leading Catholic adults say that they think abortion should be legal in all or most cases. Really, 
You're not Catholic if that's the case. I remember talking to my brother-in-law back about 20 years ago and there was a poll that Cardinal George had put out for the Catholics in Chicago. Found that only 25% of people who call themselves Catholic went to church on Sunday and of those that went to church, only 25% believed in the real presence in the Eucharist. I was explaining this to him and he stopped at one point. He goes, so what percentage of Catholics said that they believe in the Eucharist? I said, one-sixteenth. And he said, no, that's not right. I said, no, no, this is what, you know. He said, no, that's not correct. I said, what do you mean? He said, 100% of Catholics believe in the real, in the real presence. If they don't believe in the real presence, they're not Catholic. Well, I would say the exact same thing here. We don't believe in the right to life. If we don't believe in the dignity of the human person, we have cut ourselves off from the grace of God. So we may be Catholic by baptism, but we're certainly not Catholic by our actions. So we need to think about these things. On the day of judgment, each and every one of us is going to have to answer for who we voted for. We're not going to have to answer for whether or not we voted for the person who won. We're going to have to answer for if we chose and voted for the person who was the best. So don't just vote by emotion. Look at the issues and listen again to what the bishops told us, that we need to be influenced by our faith not by politics. The truth belongs to God. And the truth remains the truth, no matter where it is, in the church, or at the state capitol, or at the polling place. Know the truth. Vote the truth. The truth will set you free.